0: at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar. Today's guest is Lauren Meckling, who has written for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Slate, the New Yorker Online, and Vogue where she writes a regular book column. She's worked as a crime reporter and Metro columnist for the New York Sun and a features editor at the Wall Street Journal. A graduate of Harvard College, she lives in Brooklyn with her husband and two children. Lauren joined me today to talk about how her own experiences in print media helped form the world of her new novel, How Could She? With the same jolt of inspiration that big magic offered to creatives, combined with the actionable steps of international bestseller The Artist's Way, author Andrea Hanna's new creativity guidebook is a groundbreaking revelation. A Map for Wild Hearts, How to Make Art Even When You're Lost, is part essay, part research-backed philosophy, part interactive guidebook, and all heart. Pre-order a map for wild hearts today and create with less friction. Learn more at andreahanna.com. Your new book is titled How Could She? And it follows Rachel, Sunny, and Geraldine. And it is very much set in the media world. It deals with print. It deals with the collapse in many ways of the print industry. And then also the rise
1: of podcasting. So why that world? Yeah, it's about two uh, collapsing worlds, the collapse of friendships over time and the collapse of an industry that is very dear to my heart. I've been part of, you know, initially print media for two decades. And I also was able to weave in one of my true loves, a newer love, which is podcasts. I listened to so, so, so many podcasts, and it, it all sort of fit together as I thought about it in the sense that the story is about three women. They all started out in the print media world, and now, you know, a decade later in their mid-30s, uh, they have succeeded to varying degrees, or in one case, not succeeded. And podcasting is this new dark course or it was, and so Geraldine, the character who, you know, all the memos of how to get ahead in life passed her by, or she followed her heart, and it backfired on her, and she's essentially suffering PTSD at this point from a failed relationship, and she's working at a, you know, job that's so beneath her. The only opportunity she really ends up having is one that she creates herself, which is a podcast podcast. And that ends up being the engine of her, you know, ascent and a you know a whole new adventure for her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of the things that
0: I enjoyed so much, being also an author and moving in the print world myself mm-hmm. in the world of publishing, one of the lines that I loved was when one of the characters who is uh, writing a YA novel is talking to an editor, and the editor says, "You write beautifully." but so does my cat. And I love that. It was a wonderful indication. And it's so true that just being able to write and even write very well is not enough. There are so many elements involved.
1: I know. And more and more. I mean, I think at the time when I wrote that, what I was thinking was there has to be a hook, there has to be a high concept there, you know, in order to write a story that has any chance in the marketplace, you also have to basically tell a whole other story which is that of yourself and Mm -hmm. market yourself on you know in social media so yes being able to put a sentence together is sort of the least of it
0: right even if you can do it very well it it doesn't matter you have to be a hustler you have to be a mover and a shaker and you have to be able to sell yourself and i think it's a really interesting dichotomy because a lot of creatives aren't that person The, the performative quality when you're a writer isn't necessarily always there. So do you have any, any thoughts on that?
1: I've definitely had to jump into the limelight more than I ever was. I've always felt like I've been, like live in the margins, even when it doesn't seem that way to other people. I always feel like a bit of an outsider and an observer. And yes, now I am, um, you know, writing tons of personal essays and doing interviews about myself. It's, It's, it's strange. And I feel that the Lauren Meckling from two years ago if she saw what was happening she might be horrified but it's actually fun and it's necessary I think it's completely like justifiable in a way that maybe the snobby older version of me wouldn't have thought I you know I really have a story to tell and so I'm doing whatever I can I'm doing it for these three women who I invented
0: when I was first getting started, I also had that, oh, you know, writer in the high castle creating their art for art's sake. And now I'm like, what do you want me to do? Do you need my hair to be pink? I can make
1: it pink. It's also fun. I'm not an introvert and I'm not an extrovert. I'm a mix of the two. Mm -hmm. And writing is hard. I don't feel I don't think I would be happy if I were in a castle just churning out fiction nonstop. I'm meeting really cool people and I also really like, you know, even talking on the phone, which I never get to do anymore. Now I get to do it, and so there's there's a good side to it. Absolutely, and I hope it'll feed me and feed me to you know to go back to the the castle or as it were the the Brooklyn desk and <laughs> you know go, go back go into retreat a little bit again.
0: No, absolutely, because it is a solitary mm-hmm. undertaking, and you do need you do need to refuel sometimes, and other people. I'm the same way. Other people help me do Mm -hmm. that. If I was working in solitary, constantly just being an artiste, I
1: think it would suck. My work would suffer. Totally. There's less, right. There's a writer who, Kirsten Miller, I remember once she's a young adult writer. And she once told me she had a theory, which is there has to be an equal amount of coming in and going out in that, you know, material comes into you and then it comes out of you as your work. And it's important to her to take breaks and, in the world, and then yeah. go back and have funny things
0: to say about it. Oh yes, I agree with that. I was a YA librarian for a long time, so I remember. Oh wow! Kristen series. Yes, she's, she's and a Kiki great writer. Strike. Yes, and Kiki Strike. Yes. Yes, she's so cool. Wonderful writer. Coming up, the complexities of female friendships as a storytelling concept. Nell Martin is moving again this time to the Winslow Grand Hotel, where doors lock of their own accord, writing appears on bathroom walls, and ghostly visions permeate her waking life. As past and present collide, Nell and a mysterious bellboy are forced to relive a century-old murder in the hopes of breaking a curse that imprisons them both. The horror of The Shining meets the romance of Titanic. In this heart-stopping tale of curses, star-crossed lovers, and vengeful ghosts. Remember Me, by Chelsea Babulski. So the focus of the book, also while the setting and the the realm that it's operating in is very much the the print world, your focus is very much on female relationships and the intimacy Mm -hmm. of that, but then also Mm -hmm. the intimacy fading and they're becoming this space in between and some of the assumptions that we make about people that we used to know and perhaps they've changed Mm -hmm. and all of the different ways and the complications of a female friendship over time. So if you want to talk about that a little bit since it's a huge focus in the book.
1: Right. Well, when I started writing the book, I was thinking about the three women's Arcs, you know, as an x-y axis of you know where they would start when the book starts in Jan, you know, New Year's, and then where they would find themselves um, at the next New Year's, but it term- it's actually not a very um, accurate way of thinking about the way people change or the way relationships change because there's the element of time as this third dimension, and in that sense, that people who are intertwined and have a relationship between the two of them when they reach a point of, you know, everything going well and feeling close to each other and they have you know, they they know how to relate to each other and they have their rhythms, you know, life throws curveballs and one person will have failures and one person will have successes or, you know, new people enter the picture. And so friendships are they're very, very, very vulnerable, and they're all they always have to evolve to the moment and then be ready to spin around again and take on a new configuration and in the book i really I looked at these three women who had a they sort of had a pretty good thing going when they got to know each other. I mean it was a bit of a fraught triangle because two of the women were very suspicious of each other and not very close, but they all knew where they stood, and they all had their roles, and they all were for the better because of their relationships mm-hmm. with other women enter a decade plus And it's really, really, really hard to maintain the fiction that friendship, th- these friendships will just remain strong and unchanged and keep going because, mm-hmm. you know, someone has a baby. Someone becomes a, you know, semi-famous person. Someone has setbacks that cause her to, feel feel sad in a way that other people maybe they don't really understand or you can't truly relate to mm-hmm. yes it's very true
0: especially in um relationships where one person has a level of success that another has clearly not achieved
1: right you can't right. ignore and that imbalance sense, yeah right and of course there's lots to go around but it often doesn't feel that way it often mm-hmm. feels as though one person's success is the reason why you're not where you want to be. Yeah, well, and I think it's hard in the other way. If you if, if you know, you do become lucky in some way, do you acknowledge that? Do you talk about it with your friend or you know, do you just keep talking about the same old thing or, or do you say, hey, I get it, this is weird, this thing that I wanted to happen has happened?
0: It is literally the only criticism I have of Big Little Lies. I don't know if you watch it but I watched the first season. Okay. No one ever talks about the fact that Jane is poor. Like it
1: just doesn't come up. That's interesting. Well, right. I mean, they're all just so rich and so well off and they're
0: like, Jane's our friend
1: and it's never right. Right. Why can't we talk about that? My story said in New York city class and wealth Mm -hmm. are huge, huge factors in who we are and how people perceive us. And we all also have these financial mysteries that we conceal from each other. You know, everyone has weird way of surviving. Yeah. People, you know, do things on the side or they get things slipped to them from their aunt or something. And it's not, you know, people don't even talk about their salaries very often.
0: No. I remember when I got my first book deal, my editor said, don't tell other authors what your advance was.
1: Uh-huh. Did you think she said that because she didn't want other authors to ask for the same or do you think it was that she didn't want people to be jealous of you or what I have no idea I
0: I'm not sure Mm -hmm. and at the time I was like oh okay and because I was a baby writer I was like okay take this very seriously but now I I'm just I believe in transparency and I'm just very honest about what I make I I don't feel a reason to like maintain this fiction of the mystery of income in the creative world
1: Right. I mean, right now there's that thing going around where people are, you know, everyone was horrified when the author Taffy Ackner talked about how she reached a point in magazine journalism where she was acting for $4 a word. And people were scandalized by that and saying, that's so much, that's so unfair. But I just think even that it's, it's ridiculous and that's simplistic, and if, let's say, a, a magazine writer is writing... Our two 1,000-word stories, like, it's still not enough to live on. Nope. So we're, we're so easily shocked and scandalized by talk of money. Oh, we are.
0: It's very true. Mm-hmm. When I do, um, when I speak in front of groups, and mm-hmm. people ask, especially if I'm doing school visits, kids love yeah. to ask, how much money do you make? And I answer <laughs> oh them. Oh,
1: that's all my son wants to talk about with my book. know. Yeah.
0: That's always what people want to know. And so I just started answering them. And then I tell them the number and they're just like, oh, my God. And then I break it down for them. This is before taxes. This is spread out over 18 months and three payments. And once you do that, they're like, oh, it's actually not that much money. I'm like, no, it's not. (laughs) One of the questions I get because it's a symbol, I guess, for I'm very landlocked. So maybe that's why. But people always ask me, do you have a boat? And I'm like, I have a canoe and I bought it used. That's my budget. It's like in New York,
1: a car in New York City. Right, that's exactly what it is.
0: (laughs) 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 Lastly, how podcasts figure into Lauren's new novel and where to find the book and Lauren online. So I want to talk about podcasting and your focus on Mm -hmm. podcasting in the book as well, since that is Mm -hmm. how Geraldine then goes on to uh, make a mark for herself. And how you know, what led you to that? I know that you're an avid listener. So just your
1: exactly. own consumption, what kicked that particular plot element? Sure. I mean, it must have been, you know, it's, it's front and center. And then in the back of my head, just the, the beauty and the world of podcasts. And then as a fiction writer, you know, we, we sort of we take the ingredients that life hands us and make art out of them. And when I listen to podcasts, one of the things I do, you know, I learn about The world and people who are being interviewed but I also fantasize about I don't know just the podcasting life and who are these people who are you know doing the interviews and how do they get here and usually it is people who come from more traditional uh, journalism backgrounds or entertainment backgrounds and then they decide that they want to do something where yeah they can curse and they like things have it perfectly or redone over and over it can just feel natural and I love also that the conversational element because we don't have conversations the way i mean i used to talk on the phone for hours and hours a night when i was young nothing that terrifies people more than the words um are you up for a quick call <laughs> like people are scared they think that it means i've you know i'm going to tell them that somebody's died or that i'm <laughs> mad at them when in fact i just like to shoot the shit so in podcasts people get to do that and It worked in the narrative because there is like there isn't that barrier of entry as far as I imagine to making podcasts as there is to getting a job at some international corporation that peddles news and culture stories. So Geraldine, I love her. She is lost. She is lovely. She is curious. She's smart. She's unafraid but fragile and of course, she, you know, latches on to podcasting, and in fact, it turns out to be the best thing she's ever done in her life. Whereas her friends, who have these more, you know, per- perceived as fancy, enviable situations. I mean, one of them is a, a coveted artist, you know, tastemaker, and then the other one is a young adult writer and, and who has a part-time job in a magazine. Um, but their professional struggles are much greater. Last
0: thing, let listeners know where they can find
1: you online and where they can find the book. The book is available anywhere books are sold. It's called How Could She? It has a bright orange cover with big lettering, hard to miss. And online, I am um, at Lauren Meckling on Twitter, and I spend a lot of time there. And on Instagram, I am at Laurenomics, like economics, but Lauronomics. And I am also at The Clog Life, which is a whole other story, but it's a very fun community.
0: Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.